everyone, and welcome to the North American Irish Coaches Show. Today we have Steve Guppy on the show. Steve Guppy, former Wiccan Wanderers, Leicester City, Glasgow Celtic, and has coached with the Republic of Ireland as well uh, with Martin O'Neill. Steve, how are things in Nashville? How's things? Yeah, fine, thanks. It's a, it's a bit chilly today, but uh, it's been been okay. And uh, same as everyone else, just getting on with life best best you can. Appreciate it. Well, appreciate you coming on, Steve, and, and giving us the time uh, to have a chat with us. So, Steve, tell us about um, where you grew up. Take us back to the start and where it all started for you with football. It, you know, it's funny. Before we start, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think of talking about my career or whatever. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm cringing a little bit because I'm thinking if Roy listens to this, how is he going to take it? And, uh, and when, am I, when am I going to get a call where he can hold in everything I've said? So, um, you know, <laughs> but... Uh, I think I think it's um, talking about my my career and all the rest of it. In, in fairness, probably probably the the early years is probably a little bit more interesting than the actual career because um, you know, how how it all came about. Um, my my earliest memory in 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 soccer or, or football getting into it was um, my dad was a massive massive influence on me. He was a goalkeeper, played for West Brom. Um, um, back in the day, and, and it played in a really great national national service team with people like Ronnie Clayton and um, Terry Payne. Now, Terry Payne was um, a winger. He used to play for Southampton. He was in the England 1966 World Cup squad. Um, fantastic winger. Um, and although that, my dad was a goalkeeper, he marvelled at Terry Payne, um, where he used to drop his shoulder and beat defenders. And um, I think he, he had designs on me, uh, me doing something similar. So... Right from an early age, really, um, you know, he had me in the back garden, uh, running at him, just dropping my shoulder and going past, going past him. And, and quite unique, really, because you think when I guess most parents would be in the back garden taking shots from their kids. You know, we did a little bit of that, but I always remember right from a very early age, um, you know, I was... I was, you know, uh, dropping my shoulder and, and, and going past him and... Um, you know, thankfully I did because I somehow managed to make a career out of it. Yeah, Steve, where did you where did you grow up, and where 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 are you from in England? I grew up in a place, uh, Winchester, down in um, down in the south coast there. Um, so um, you know, I was I was down there as a, for for you know a, a number of years until until uh, we moved on, and, and football football kind of moved me all around the country, I guess. Steve, you've touched there on the earliest memory. Um, kind of in the backyard and stuff, but then how did you grow up academy-wise? Where, where did you kind of see yourself going as you grew up, or what was your first time memory uh, stadium? Well, I mean, this is where it starts to, uh, you know, go go a little bit unusual because, um, uh, listen, up until the age of 11, 12, everything was going great. Um, you know, they say that uh, the learning years, the true learning years are between the ages 5 and 12. Um, and, I, and I think you know, one thing my dad installed in me was practice, practice, practice. He went on about it all the time. Um, and, you know, and it, and it kind of stayed with me. Um, so that that really, from that age, I was probably one of the better players around um, at that, that age group. I was only playing for a village team, but, we, you know, we, we, we did well in little five-a-side tournaments, things like that. Um, and it led me to uh, being at Southampton from about 13 on a little bit of a trial um, but then, sadly, at 13, 14, everyone started to grow and I didn't. Um, so, um, you know, and I, and I think anyone who's, who's watching this, a coach, 
you know, who, who you know works with youth players, you know, maybe they can, you know, you know, understand that and go, oh, yeah, of course, growth spurts and things like that. Kids have a lot to take take on growing up, and 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 I struggled with that. So I went from, in honesty, from the age of you know, maybe eight, nine, when you start playing all the way till 13, being one of the players till 13, 14, 15, even 16, ending up being a sub, um, not playing in the team. Um, and, uh, and ultimately, um, I, uh, I retired at 16. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't, I didn't get offered an apprenticeship anywhere. Um, Southampton binned me ruthlessly. Um, and, um, and that was that. So at 16, I left school um, and uh, decided that I uh, was going to pursue a, uh, a job on a, on a building site. I became a trainee electrician, and I literally did not kick a football. I swear this is true for two years. From 16 to 18, I did not. There was one time I was at college doing my electricians. We had a little five-a-side tournament in college, and they put me in goal. So uh, that's 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 how uh, that's. That's how it's, it's, you know, incredibly unusual. I mean, look back now and think, well, how did it, how did things change? Um, and um, I'm just thankful, I guess, that from that age of five to 12 to 13, 14, even up to 16, I was that guy down a park on my own, continually dropping my shoulder, crossing balls, um, just relentlessly. You know, I guess I probably have got an obsessive, you know, nature in that respect. Um, and thankfully I did, because those two years, I um I uh, I went I went fishing mainly for two years. I caught I caught some decent carp, but um but didn't kick any footballs. That's brilliant. That's an even better. Uh, that's unbelievable to think where you've come to now. To think that you were on a building site from sixteen to eighteen uh, makes the story even better. I think um, having heard that for sure, Steve. Well, I mean, Emily, it was it was bizarre, really. I mean, because you know, two years I was, but then I um. Obviously, in that space, a few things happened. I um, I grew into the impressive specimen before you today, and um, with that came came some pace, and and that was you know it was really holding me back. I was at, you know at 12, 13, I, I, I was always had the skill maybe, but you know these bigger kids would just like you know swap me out of the way. So uh, came a little bit of um, pace, and and really the only the only reason I started playing again is that like some of my schoolmates started up a Sunday afternoon team. Um, and we started like in Division Six in the Southampton League, a, a local park called Fleming Park. There'd be like ten pitches there, and we went and played there. And I just started to enjoy it again, and obviously realised I had my pace back. And within within a few months, I was playing um, Saturday afternoons, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoons. So I was playing three games a weekend, but all like pub football, like local local standard. And the crazy thing is, is that. I didn't realise you're not allowed to play Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon in the, in the same league, um, Hampshire FA. So I was having to play under under a different name in the afternoon. You know, <laughs> they were never going to play against each other. One Sunday morning, one Sunday afternoon. I mean, it was crazy, but that was just the rules. And and then so what name did you pick? Oh no, I kept the same surname. You know, I'm not the brightest, so we went, you know, <laughs> unusual surname. So it was only a matter of time that um, I got caught. But I um, it was just you know I, that was going well for about six, eight months or whatever. And then unbelievably, unluckily for me, we had the same referee Sunday morning as we did Sunday afternoon in the team. And I was, I was busted. And would you believe Hampshire FA banned me for five years? Ah, stop. Five years. I mean, thankfully for me, I was on my way up and, um, and I went, I signed for a team called Coldham Common. 
who were outside their jurisdiction. But I didn't have a car at the time. So if I'd have been caught early on, I, I don't know how things, uh, you know, would have panned out. But um, but it, it's funny when we look back now, I look back now, you know, that time when I was playing at Fleming Park, Park football, years later, I'd be playing for Leicester City against um, as a Spanish lad who, who played for Chelsea. Who, who played for Barcelona. And I look back and I realised that when I was playing park football, he was actually playing for Barcelona. And then within 10 years or whatever, we, we would be playing against each other. It's, it's, it's incredible, really. Brilliant story. Um, your time at Wigan Wanderers and Leicester City were, were hugely successful. I can remember actually watching you play on the telly every week. Um, Tell us about them experiences and what made them team special. Because I think you won promotion with Wickham as well, didn't you, during that time? So tell us what made it special with Leicester and Wickham. What, what was special about those those two teams for you? Well, Wickham was 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 obviously the, my, my first break, really. You know, I was playing for Colden Common, which you didn't get paid. The only thing you you got, really, is that they wash your kit. And, uh, and someone hung it up on a peg when you walked in. So I felt like it was big time. But um, I managed to... Um, get a move. I remember it was, you need a bit of luck always in life. And, and I was playing cold and common Hampshire league one, which is pretty low. Um, and we drew a team called Bashley in, um, in a, in a cup competition and Bashley were like three or four leagues above us. Um, so, um, and it was the first time I played under floodlights, you know, I'm, I'm like 19 at this point. And, um, and unbeknown to me, the, the right back I was up against, I was playing left wing, the, the, the right back I was up against was a big lad. Um, and I didn't know, but a lot of teams were watching him. And, um, and that night, I, um, I, just, it was, I was playing on the floodlights for the first time. <laughs> it was amazing. So um, I just flew at him, really, to be honest. And, um, you know, I had, had a good game. It went well. Didn't think anything more of it. Um, but the next day, I was still living at home with my mum and dad at the time. And... Um, the phone must have rang about 20 times with, um, you know, different clubs from Coventry to Southampton again to, to Wickham Wanderers. Um, and eventually I ended up there. Um, and, you know, and that was, that was the start of, of, of a journey really where things, things were, you know, obviously playing in the Vauxhall Conference, we were non-league, but it was a big step up. Um, so that was, that was fantastic. Leaving home, moving in with a, a group of lads, you know, was... Uh, was an education in itself, as you can imagine. Um, and then uh, we were doing okay with a mid-table team. We lost our way a little bit, and we lost to the Met Police in the in the FA Trophy. And the manager got sacked, um, and um, and they gave a job to someone called Martin O'Neill, who uh, who came in. And I, and I always remember his like his first entrance when he came in and, uh, and addressed the team because we actually weren't a bad team. We were it was quite a group of. All, all very similar and it was actually similar at Leicester as well. We're a group of young players who were keen, underachieved for whatever reason, um, but, but, you know, had some talent, but really keen and just needed that direction, someone to grab hold of them and, um, and force them in the right direction. And, and I think you talk to any, any Wickham Wanderers player or Leicester player for that right, for that matter. And they said that Martin O'Neill was the, was the, you know, the, the catalyst in that, because he, he he dragged us kicking and screaming, um, and and showed us you know how to win, and and we went on a, a, a you know a run at Wickham where we won the FA Trophy, and you know playing at playing at Wembley was one of those one of those things that you dreamed about as a kid, and it was one of those one moments you know walking out the tunnel at the old Wembley, you walk up the tunnel a bit of a slope, and 
you as a kid, I don't know, I did, um, 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 you know, maybe you guys did as well. You, you dream what it'd be like. And it was one of those moments in life where it was every bit as good as you hoped it would be. Um, you know, and, and we went on to uh, to win the league, and 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 importantly, you know, in winning the league, we became professional footballers, which was a, a dream for all of us. Yeah, that's a brilliant story. And then, tell us then. Obviously, that was such a special time getting promoted to Wickham, and then you went on to Leicester City. What what's kind of your best memories um, there? <laughs> yeah, well, I've had to go through Newcastle and Port Vale for a number of years, um, so you know, I had to fight my way up there I guess um but um yeah I mean arriving at Leicester it was very similar to Wickham actually where yeah, you know yeah. where where at Wickham we had people like uh, Matt Crosley, Keith Ryan, um Jason Cousins you know what good young players who, who wanted to do well that maybe you know you guys are not familiar with but then at Leicester you know Martin O'Neill bought in a you know lucky enough that he brought me there um, and we had young players that maybe you would have heard, you know, like Neil Lennon, uh, Muzzy Is It, um, Matty Elliott, Jerry Taggart, Robbie Savage. You know, we're all, you know, all of us, you know, Lenny, I was playing against Lenny, um, you know, he was at Crew, you know, I was at Port Vale in the championship. So, you know, we're all, we're all, you know, hungry and desperate to do well. And we were looking for that break. Um, and, you know, but all, when you think of Lenny, you know, Muzzy Is It, you know, Gary Parker as well, you know, he was, you know, there was some quality, Emil Heskey, Steve Walsh, Matty Elliott, Jerry Taggart, all, all big, big characters. Um, but, but that's not something that you know, Martin O'Neill would, would shy away from, you know, and he brought us all together and, um, you know, and, and tapped into that, that, what we had at Wickham really, that, that hunger and, 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 you know, and will to win. And, and it was a, it was a fabulous five years and, you know, an amazing journey of, finally playing in in the premiership which is where we all wanted to be that's uh that's fantastic um so then talk to us about um celtic obviously a hugely passionate and 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 supported club i mean you know being from ireland i mean you know i can i remember going to watch uh celtic as a kid and um you know the, just the following they get and those champions league nights and, and just those big events what did you know about celtic um steve before you arrived. And I think you arrived on the same day as John Hartson, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but what's your, what did you know about Celtic before you went up there? I mean, and what's your best memory kind of at Celtic? Well, I don't think anything prepares you for how big a club it is. Um, I was obviously, well, when I signed there, I was in my 30s. So I was, you know, wasn't, you know, a fresh, fresh face kid there by any 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 stretch of the imagination you know I played you know in the premiership for five years so um but it was it's still you know a fabulous club you know it's a big big thing to play for them um you know I think the players we used to almost laugh where we all felt that no matter who you were whether it's Henrik Larson, John Arts it didn't matter who you were you had three bad touches in you where before you'd get absolutely Absolute powers, um, you know, a fantastic fan base, fanatic, absolutely. Everyone knows that. Um, and they demand, you know, they, they demand success and, and um, you know, and standards. So, you know, you always felt if you give the ball away once, there'd be a little bit of a groan that wouldn't go down too well. You give it away twice, all in, in, in the same, you know, you, concurrent. Twice, you'd be in trouble. And you did it three times on the bounce. That was it. You're, you're, you're in serious trouble. So, yeah. so, you know, you're always kept on your toes. Yeah, but the reality is I didn't I didn't play as much as I'd like to have done. It was, you know, it was a fabulous team. You know, that was that was a that was a tough team. But 
you know, it was an absolute pleasure, really, when I think of it now, being out on the white, out on the wing there, um, crossing balls for Henrik Larsson, Chris Sutton and John Artson, you know, they, they make bad ones look good. So um, it was uh, absolute. But it was it was an education living in a hotel with John Artson for three of the first three months. <laughs> I um, <laughs> he had this he had this great habit, John, of, of making it sound like drinking, going out drinking was actually good for you. And um, he, uh, he, I think it worked out. John had worked out that that Beck's somewhere he'd read somewhere that bottles of Beck's beer were mildly better for you than any other beer. So uh, that's how he used to quit. You know, uh, how he used to park it up, say like, you know, let's go out. And I used to walk around in the hotel room with the light off, just in case he thought I was in, because uh, <laughs> he, wanted, he wanted to go out drinking every night. I mean, I mean, listen, John's brilliant, and he says all these things, but. He, um, what finisher he was, but you know, if we go out and, and he used to call it, we used to go and clean the pipes. That's how we used to describe going out drinking. But if we if we go out drinking, then then we'd have a bowl of tagliatelle and a pint of water, then we were living right. <laughs> what's uh, what's your best memory at Celtic? Is there one moment that stands out for you? Um, I, I feel like I say I, did, I didn't play as much as I'd like to have done, um, but the competition was fierce. I, I think possibly my my best best game for Celtic was in um, was in the uh, the UEFA Cup run when we played uh, Celta Vigo at home, um, and uh, and I played that night and I, I thought that was my best game. So um, you know, look back now and maybe the one well, actually when we um, we won the league my first year there and I played and we we won four um, nil. I set up a couple of goals that day and and you know that was a, obviously an amazing experience to win the league and. And everything. So, um, yeah, I mean, fantastic, fantastic club, and um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, proud to have played from. Steve, what, what? How big of an influence was Martin O'Neill in your career? Well, I mean, I mean, obviously, I mean, well, my dad, my dad was 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 undoubtedly, you know, the the, the, the driving force, my biggest influence. You know, he, he yeah. followed me home and away every single game he was there and obviously from a young age so you know but 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 my dad aside you know I'd have to say that that Molyneux was was it's been it's been an absolute you know massive influence and I, and I get back to what I said earlier about you need a bit of luck you need a bit of luck and, and my luck was that you know one of the things is that you know, I, I, I very early on I, I ran into a manager who believed in me and saw something in me um, and was going places and um, and luckily for me, you know, he, he you know he, he took me took me you know, where he went, you know, uh, uh, you know to to Leicester and then to Celtic, um, and then obviously later on in, into coaching. So, you know, uh, whatever he was, he saw in me. I think one thing he did say to me once is that um, that that um, he didn't he didn't mind, you know, even if I was having a bad game, there's plenty of them. Is that it? Just felt that I'd never stop running. So, you know, I think that's one thing. I think a lot of players who, who played for him, I, I remember reading something that Gareth Barry was saying that, you know, he's, you know, a lot of players would say he's the best manager they've ever played for, you know, and, and I'm not alone in that. Loads, I think all the Wickham players, Leicester players, Aston Villa players, yeah. Celtic players, Henrik Larsson, you know, I'm sure they all say the same, you know, his, his incredible man management skills, um, knowledge of the game is, is, is amazing. But couple of things that he, he really, really helped me with going back to my Wick and Wonder days is that he taught me, um, or, you know, say taught me, you know, 
to to stop feeling sorry for myself. I, I think when I went back when I was at Wickham from that younger age when I when I when I sort of dipped out of football at 16, from being honest, you know, that that self-pity thing, you know, can catch up with you every now and then if you're having a bit of bad form. And, you know, and he it toughened me up in that respect to, you know, stop feeling sorry for yourself. And and then he kind of taught you that the yeah. mindset of and I think this is really sums up the, you know, what a professional footballer should think like is that you know that the sun doesn't shine every day um you know where you you want you want the ball you know and you, you know, everything's going great and you yeah. everything's coming off it doesn't quite work like that the reality is some days the ball can be great looks the size of a beach ball other size other days it's the size of a cashew nut you know i mean no one yeah. knows why it just you just it just doesn't feel right but they're the days where you really earn your money because if it's, if you're not going to play well you've got to make sure your opponent doesn't play well um, and, and I think, you know, one of the things, nicest things he ever said, he felt that I did that. And that even though no matter how bad I was playing, I might might just dig out one cross. And um, so uh, he, um, I think he stuck with me a bit. Yeah, and, and it's crazy for you to say there how, how many players would would say, look at love playing for him. But what, what, what is the quality, would you say, of Martin that, that keeps people ticking and, and, and wanting to make those extra runs for him? What, what was about him? would you say in one word or so that people enjoyed playing for him? Well, it's funny because I mean, I played a large chunk of my career. I was really lucky to play for him. Um, and, and I never really thought of, 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 you know, if you look at him, it was Martin O'Neill, it was John Robertson, um, you know, Seamus McDonough, you really must get on here because best goalkeeping coach I've ever seen. Um, Steve Wolford, absolute, you know, they were, they were kind of like almost like heroes to me. You know, course, as a yeah. player at Wickham, because you know they were they were. I'm mean, look at them how they how they used to coach us, and I'd be like, well, there's no way I can do coaching. You know, it's just, it's just it's, you know, these boys are another level. And then, but then, but then when I left them and started going to other clubs and starting to work with other managers, and then I started to think actually, maybe there's a chance because um, you know this, the standard wasn't always as as um, you know reached the heights there. So. You know, I think Martin O'Neill's got this thing. I think all the players would agree, you know, that he just gets the best out of you. He can get the best out of you. Um, you know, you can't you can't kid a kidder. You know, he he, he knows when you're, you know, it's, it's just common sense football. He doesn't load you up with too many instructions that can confuse you. He just wants you to go out and be, and be honest and, and do your best. And he has this incredible habit of getting the best out of players. Fantastic. Steve, your, your time with the Republic of Ireland um, as a coach, um, how was your experience uh, with the setup there? I mean, what, what was that like for you to be on the international stage? Like, you know, thinking back to, hey, I was playing in a park at uh, 17, 18, now I'm coaching international football. Yeah, well, I mean, it was a process um, that, that, that obviously led to that, you know, from, you know, finishing and then getting into coaching out here in America and then working my way back. Um, you know, Colorado and working with Gary Smith, where I am now. Um, you know, we won the MLS Cup, which was which was an incredible experience. Um, and then through through Sunderland, which was working in the Premiership. And then, yeah, find myself working, um, you know, at the with the Republic of Ireland. And and I, you know, I look back now, and honestly, I, I, it's, it's quite an amount of uh, of pride, to be honest, um, when I look back. Because it is a big deal coaching, you know, working, you know, if someone's, you know, it's a country you're representing and, and, and every win felt 
it felt, you know, every, every coach wants to win, no matter what team you're at, you're desperate to win. But when you're international level, the games don't come around that often. And there's so much at stake. And, you know, and you, and you like I say, you're representing a whole country and, and, it, and it, you know, and we all felt it. Um, you know, when you look back, you know, if we've got time to talk about it, but, you know, that, that Euro 2016, you know, the, the qualifying games, you know, how, how we, you know, we, we're obviously in a group with Germany, Poland, Scotland and, and Georgia. And you're looking at that thinking, well, you know, how are we going to get out of this group? Um, and, and, you know, how, how things progressed and, you know, and, 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 and obviously great nights, you know, I, you know, there's, there's, there's a flip side to this. I remember we, we beat Germany, we beat Germany, oh, sorry, we, we drew Germany uh, away from home early on in the campaign, 1-1. John O'Shea scored a, a last minute goal, absolutely magical. And yeah. <laughs> I remember, I remember the press were really critical of our performance. We, we didn't, we didn't pass the ball enough, apparently, and playing against the <laughs> world champions, you know, and I, that was early on. I was like, okay, I, I don't think I'll bother reading the paper after that. You know, I was just like, wow, we had David Myler playing right back that night. Um, you know, John O'Shea scoring a goal. You know, and you, and you think that's that's really when you look and think, we could be something special coming here, you know, because we had no players playing in European football, UEFA Cup, Champions League, none of that. You know, we are, our best player, Seamus Coleman, you know, playing right back there. But we had a, you know, a, a togetherness and, and um, you know, and a, and, a, and, a, and a steely belief that, that once again the manager was build, building that I'd seen before at Leicester and Wickham, um, and then and then, you know, we 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 draw we draw later on in against Scotland at home one one when we everyone thought you know we needed a win, and um, usual things everyone's calling for us to be sacked and you know the pressure it's it's incredible to watch Martin O'Neill and Roy Keane how they dealt with it and just sort of brushed it off. You know, it was, it was an amazing experience, but I remember that after the Scotland game, I know there was a premiership club, I think I can say these things now, that were chasing chasing the manager, um, but he didn't want to walk out on his contract um, and, and stayed with it. And and then, you know, I think in that respect, we, we look up, we played Germany at home, the world champions, and 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 beat them. And even when I mentioned that night, I, I, I'd get goosebumps, you know, and, and think about that night and how it came about and, you know, Scotland up the road, we're playing Poland and they must have thought that we were going to get smashed. And then when it filtered through, I mean, it filtered through that we'd, we'd beat in Germany. It, that must have been hard for them to take because I think they thought they were they were home and host. Well, what a night that. That just gives you goosebumps thinking about that Germany result. Uh, Steve, still still a, a massive moment in, in Irish sport. So just just to touch off that, what, what would you say your best moment Um working uh, with the Republic of Ireland was, was, was for you, what was the, what was the night, you, you know, you want to remember? I mean, well, there was, there was quite a few. I mean, obviously there was that one, but then we played Bosnia in, in the playoffs. And once again, you know, we used to frighten ourselves by looking at the team sheets of the opposition, you know, you know, look at Bosnia, they had Dzeko and Panic up front, you know, every team we played, it seemed to be the same with so many international stars playing for the biggest clubs in Europe. But that, that, that game, and um, I remember when we were playing Bosnia in Bosnia, the first leg, really foggy, that really foggy night, on a yeah. very tight pitch, very difficult game. I always remember, and I was um, the team talk that the manager gave beforehand. He spoke so quietly to the players that I, I was running around turning off the air conditioning units because, but his his words were so powerful. 
Um, and it was just, it just felt that everything was in place that night. And, and we grinded out a draw and, and then obviously took them back to the Viva and, and won. And, and, you know, and that, that night to qualify for a major tournament was just, I obviously never experienced anything like that um, as a player was just just phenomenal and then i mean to go to the euros was was just was just incredible i mean what an experience for everyone and and to to get out of the group i remember when we when we beat italy and this that will probably be you know in answer to your question the the greatest night i've one of the greatest nights i've ever experienced in the game you know uh, never mind as a coach you know was when when robbie brady scored that goal and uh, we beat Italy against the odds. Um, and, and, and after the game, I, it stayed with me. It always stayed with me that um, everyone was crying. Players, coaches, you know, and, and you know, everyone's out, you know, with the, with the supporters at the end. They're all crying. And it just, you know, just made you think, wow, you know, this is, this is really amazing. I know it's only sport, but, you know, you're representing a country here. And, and I've got a photo at home that I took with just uh, the coaches, me, Wally, Seamus, Roy and the gaffer. And, and it's one of my, um, you know, uh, proudest, you know, one of the fondest photos that I, I will always treasure. Steve, talk to us about um, working alongside um, Martin O'Neill and Roy Keane. I mean, Roy Keane is, I mean, he, he's a straight shooter, as we say, you know, he doesn't beat about the bush. He, he gives it. Um, but a legend of the game, a, a legend for, for Irish people in sport as well. But working alongside two lads like that, how, how was that for you? Yeah, I mean, it was it was it was great. I mean, you know, talking about Roy, I mean, as as a as a coach now, there's there's so many things that I obviously I'd be mad not to tap into that experience of Martin O'Neill, Steve Walford, John Robertson, you know, and, and then obviously later on Roy. I mean, Roy, Roy, for me, I felt it, it makes you better because he demands it, yeah, um, yeah. you know, and he, he, little things like timekeeping, you know, and, 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 you know, I don't want to talk much about Roy. That's his own story, you know, but, you know, one, one thing about him, he, make, he makes you better and he doesn't actually want that much. He just wants players to train as, as hard as they can, to give everything they got, and especially the Irish players, because... Obviously, you know, he had such an affinity with with the, with the country and, and the team, but but we weren't we weren't amazing. You know, the players weren't. We didn't have incredible talents, so we had to tap into that that togetherness and and roll your sleeves up and and just outwork teams. Yeah. Um, and that's how we, you know. And, and you look back over the years, you know, you'd have to say that a lot of Irish teams, even with much better players, you know, under the Jack Charlton era, they had incredible players. But they did have a, you know, a reputation for outworking teams. And, and somehow, you know, we managed to maintain that and, 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 and get great results, albeit didn't get much recognition for it. But it was, it was incredible to qualify for, a, you know, Euros. The World Cup qualifiers, you know, there again, you know, you look at that group, you know, to get to a playoff. We're not Wales at the World Cup. <laughs> you know, Gareth Bale plays for Wales. You know, to to knock them out of out of the World Cup. Okay, we played an unbelievably strong Denmark team, and 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 you know, you name it, it went wrong that night. And you know, but England have found out at their cost recently how good Denmark are. But you know, I look back now, working with Martin O'Neill and Roy, and and you know, there's so many 
things where I can look back and think they've improved me as a as a player under Martin and now later as a coach. And and you know, Roy's played a big part in that. Yeah, two legends of Irish sport. Yeah, Steve, during this quarantine time or pandemic time, a lot of people got to watch Sunderland Till I Die on the Netflix, the, the TV show. Um, and I know you had a, a short time there uh, as a coach in a role there. How was it like being at that club to try and get players to perform every time on the pitch, as we've seen in documentary, kind of what that club means to, to, to that city, kind of almost like your Celtic, you kind of talked about it there. But what, what was it like at Sunderland? Do you know what? It's, it was... What a club, you know, massive yeah. club, you know, the fan base, you know, fanatical, but craving success, craving success. And it's obviously, it's incredible to see where they are. Um, you know, just, you know, I think, I think uh, now a few years have passed, I can be, be honest about it all. Um, you know, it was a great experience for me. Bear in mind, I'm coming back from Colorado Rapids, working sure. in the MLS, and now I've got a chance you know, to go and work in, in the premiership. So, you know, that was, that was great for me. But I remember when we, when, when the manager first went in there, um, inherited pretty awful team, to be honest. Um, I think Steve Bruce lost his job and the star centre forward had, had moved to Saudi Arabia on loads of money. So the, the big thing, the, the, the big number one problem at Sunderland when, when we were there was lack of pace. There was no pace throughout the team. Um, and that was a big, big problem. Um, and, um, you know, and I, I remember when I was, when I went there, we were just about to start the second season. So that first season, Martin O'Neill went in there. They, they kept them up. They were in relegation and they kept them up with, with, um, with, you know, with, with, with games to spare. And we did incredibly well. And, 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 I, and I think in an age where there's a lot of self-promotion goes on, you know, maybe, maybe didn't, didn't lord it enough, you know, didn't, 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 uh, made it look a bit easy. You know, sure. I can remember when, you know, other managers, you know, Sam Allardyce there, you know, came in, did a good job, kept them up and was dancing on the pitch, you know, and within, within a couple of years, he's England manager, but, um, you know, you know, Martin Hill kept them up, never made a big song and dance about it. But then the following year, I remember now, you know, it was just before the season was going to start. We, um, we were, we were desperately light in the middle of the park, you know, at no pace. And um, you remember Ngonzi, who um, yeah. had yeah. a great career. He was, yeah. he was at Blackburn, I believe, and they just got relegated. And, um, and we were trying to get him on loan and he was going to come and it was going to cost 50 grand. Like, I think a lot of track, a lot of, a lot of time has gone since then, but um, 50 grand to get him in. Um, and the club wouldn't do it. And I remember we were, we were all pretty devastated about that. And uh, I remember we were playing Swansea the first game of the season and we were, well, it might have been the second game, but it was the transfer window closed and Dean Agonzi went to Stoke. Um, and uh, we were sat there looking at each other going, this is going to be difficult. <laughs> so, um, you know, once again, you need a bit of luck, but I wonder, I do often wonder what would have happened if we could have got him in the middle of the park there. Maybe could have, you know, um, you know um, things could have been different. Oh, just actually one one story. This sums Sunderland up, I guess. We had um, Nicholas Bentner, who was um, the, the yeah, striker yeah. up there when that, that we inherited. You know, and it, was, it was a strange, strange mindset up there with some of the players on, on occasions. But Nicholas, one one story I got to tell you that 
he um he had a problem with driving or something he'd lost his license for whatever reason um and um he'd asked the manager we had a day off on wednesday and he asked the manager if he could have tuesday off because he had to go to denmark to take his driving test and then he'd come back on wednesday and train on his day off so i, I volunteered to come in on the wednesday to train him so uh so he, he had the Tuesday off, didn't see him. Come Wednesday, I'm in training. I've set the training up. It's me and him. We're going to do it. 10 o'clock, no sign of him. Quarter past 10, no sign of Nicholas. Half 10, I've been there waiting on the pitch half an hour, waiting for him to arrive. He comes flying out. He comes flying out. Steve, Steve, I'm really sorry. Um, listen, I know I'm late, but I've got, I've got, you know, there's genuine, honestly, honestly, genuine reason why I've not been, why I'm late. And I goes, okay, what is it? He goes, I just, the, I got a private jet back from Denmark this morning and we encountered an incredible headwind. And, and that's why I'm late. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> and, you know, when you're thinking, and I, you know, of all the excuses you hear, I mean, <laughs> a headwind in a private jet as a reason for being late for training, kind of probably some next career up, I guess. I wouldn't know how to respond to that. You, you were probably expecting him to say I was out on the Vex last night, were you? Well, it, well, exactly. If he said he'd been out with John Hartson, I would have been completely fine with it. But yeah. he, uh, no, he was. I, I, I'll be honest. I couldn't stop laughing. It was just one of them. It, it did diffuse the moment because it was just like that's just the most outrageous excuse I've ever heard. That's uh, that's classic, uh, Steve. So you played at DC United in two thousand five and six. Um, then you played with Rochester as well. Two contrasting styles of weather there in, in the United States for the winters. Um, and now, obviously, coaching in the MLS. Um, what are your initial? What were your initial thoughts when you arrived in America with the game here versus now? I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I mean, first I, I went. I signed for DC. I think I was 36, 37. So you know, I was obviously knocking on a little bit. Um, it was a breath of fresh air. I loved it. I really, you know, felt I was kicking around, like bouncing around from club to club, um, not necessarily enjoying it so much. Um, and then a chance, something fresh. Um, and it was great. I, I went out there. Um, I remember my first game and then the, the difference, it really family orientated, you know, when I, even when I'm back in England, taking my kids to a game of football before the lockdown in England, it's always a bit of a risk. The language can be, you know, can be a little bit iffy, but in America, it's not like that at all. You know, it's really set up for families They're tailgating before they make a big day of it. And okay, you don't get that edge, edginess in the atmosphere in England yeah. where there's a lot of spite, which sometimes can be really good. Um, I remember my first game for DC. I remember being on the ball and I'm running down the line and I can hear a roar going up and up on and at the other end, other end of the pitch. So kind of away from where I was. And normally if that happens, that wouldn't tend to mean there was, you know, back in England there was a fight in the in in the stand somewhere, you know. You know, when it's like over the other side, so it's away from where the ball is. So once I finished doing what I was doing, I remember looking up and thinking, what, you know, what's the trouble? Is there a problem? And there was a, a giant bear-like costume catapulting sweets into the crowd. <laughs> and I remember laughing at the time thinking, oh, this is great. This is exactly what, this is exactly what I need. So, um, you know, that was, that was um, you know, a lovely, lovely first experience at, at, at DC. But, but, um, but then I moved to, like, say, um, Rochester. I was, like, 39. It was a an opportunity to get into coaching more than anything. But the owner, the owner there was a great guy. He was quite a young guy, but he um he just survived on smoking cigarettes and drinking Coke, Coca-Cola. 
Um, <laughs> he was an incredible guy. So at the beginning of the day, you go and say, look, you know, we're a bit short. We, we need this player. And he'd be like, look, it's not really in the budget. But then come the end of the day, come the afternoon, late afternoon, he'd had about six or seven cans of Coke and 20, he was caffeined out of his nut. And um, so then you'd be like, what about this player? And he'd go, you want this player? You want this player? And he'd get wrapped up and he'd make decisions. We'd sign players that he, that he would instantly regret the next day. But he was um, a great guy. And, and one, one other thing is that we... Um, and I mean, we it was great at Rochester. We were we were getting like fans, you know, 10, 12,000 people going ah, into crowds. It was really good, really. You know, we were really getting it. It was really going well. And um, and um, you know, they were trying desperately to get more fans in. So they got um, you know, this talent talent contest in on TV with Simon Cowell and that. They managed to get this guy who finished seventh or something to come on at half time to sing sing the song. And um, you know, and the owner was. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't great on on what you know the ins and outs of football. He was so made up that he managed to sign this guy to come in and sing sing this song. But the guy wanted to sing his album at half time, so he uh, he was asking us if half time could be stretched for an hour, and uh, <laughs> it was just amazing. And then it was it was it was you know obviously couldn't do that, but it was uh, so great experiences, great experiences. But you know, a long time ago, and now. Back in the MLS, MLS is is um, incredibly professional and and you know and going from strength to strength right now. Yeah, the standards, the standards I'm sure uh, have changed a lot since '05 and '06 to, to now. Mm. I mean, it's such a such a great uh, such a great league now. It's attracting a lot of a lot of top class players as well. Can you see it only getting better, Steve? I think so. You know, the, it's incredible that you know the amount of um, money that's you know comes in. You look, you know, you have to look at. Um, Miami with um, David Beckham and, you know, all the great things that they're doing down there, you know, you know, Higuaim and, you know, the international players are, are coming, being attracted to the league. And I can see why, you know, it's, it's the standards is getting better and better. And I think you look at that US national team now, there's a lot of young players in that team now who, who play all over the world as well as MLS um, for yeah. top, top team. So, uh, you know, everyone's been worried that America are going to get really good. Um, and I think I think uh, it's going to come true. Yeah, good stuff. So, Steve, you're 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 coaching full time now uh, down in Nashville, just down the road here for me in Memphis. What traits um, what traits have you taken away from the managers that you've worked under or you've played for? Like, obviously, you've played for some great managers and you've been around some good staffs. What What are a couple of things you've taken away? Obviously, you talked about Roy and just like work rate and and being on time and doing things right. But what other things have you taken away from people? Well, I mean, Roy, it's not just that, you know, he's a, you know, a real deep thinker of the game, you know, absolute fabulous knowledge. I mean, look at the, the people he's played, you know, for, with, ah, yeah. you know, with, with, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson and what have you, you know, so, you know, it was always, always great, you know, it'd be a fool not to, um, to have picked up, you know, any, any sort of tips from them and, and so, and, you know, Steve Wolford as well, John Robertson, you know, so there's, there's loads of, um, loads of things that hopefully, hopefully, um, you know, I've, I've picked up, and from time to time, I, I have to confess that I, I do ring Martin Neal up to apologise because I would have stolen one of his lines in um, in a team meeting. And as I'm saying it, I'm shaking my hand, thinking I shouldn't I shouldn't be stealing his words here. But I, I think, as a coach, in all honesty, you know, also my dad really from that early days of 
of, um, you know, in many ways, he was a position specific coach and that's what we worked on. We, he, I was working as a winger from the age of five. And, and that's something that that's really is a, probably the name the main reason I coach now. You know, I, I really consider myself to be a position specific coach. I remember when I, you know, throughout my career, I've always been fascinated in the arts of 1v1, taking players on. Um, and, you know, and, and once I retired, I sat down and, and tried to think about, there'd be days when I took a player on and it would feel quite easy and it'd be, you know, it'd be pretty decent. And then other days, same player, I'd be like pulling teeth, you know, and I'd be, so they went back, started looking at videos and, and, and of, of, of times and, and started over a period of time with the knowledge that I picked up trying to work on a, a bit of a 1v1 formula um, mm. for taking players on. And I, I've taken that really and, and tried to run with it these last, I don't know, 10 odd years, um, you know, starting at Colorado, um, well, sorry, Rochester, Colorado. And, and that's what we do. I mean, here at Nashville, we start the day most days with a position specific warm up. And, and I don't think many people do that where we get them warm. But, you know, one thing, you know, try and do is get the repetitions in. You know, if you if you're running at a player and you can move your shoulders and beat a player, then then great. But if you can do it without thinking, without realizing you're doing it, then you're a player. And the only way to get that is through repetition. And okay, you know, if you're working with players who you don't run into them, they're 23, 24, you know, you're not going to change massive amounts. But, you know, um, I think if you're doing a warm-up every day and then every day, every week, they say, say in a warm-up, I get them to do 50 repetitions. So we start the warm-up, we get the movements, they've got it warm, and then we build it up into, you know, semi-passive 1v1s. And then the last bit of the warm-up, you know, it's, it's, it's 1v1 sometimes to go. Um, you know, we've never had an issue with, with that. We just, you know, get on it, but I'm looking for the repetitions. If we can have 50 a day, then by the end of the week, you know, by the end of the month, we're getting into the thousands. So what we're after here, we're just looking for, you know, that one or two extra moments a year where, where the player may just get the ball, drop the shoulder and bang, and we get a chance, you know, would we have got that if we'd have just let the sports scientists take the warm up? You know, and, and that's that's what it's about, really, percentages. You know, you, you work in the percentage um, and, and really, you know, I guess right from an early age, that was that was how I, you know, I see how I managed to make it in the game. And I'm just kind of trying to pass that on now as a coach. Yeah. And Steve, as an MLS coach, what, what would you say are the biggest challenges or, or what do you find different here where you, you haven't found before, whether that's the recruiting part with the international spots, the traveling's a bit different. Well, what, is, what are the real true challenges that you'd say you'd face as an MLS coach compared to where you've been before? Well, I think, I think as a coach or as a player first, you know, the big, big things that uh, I think it's becoming more and more attractive to come out here now. Um, and um, what players have to take into account is the travel first and foremost, you know, it is a big country. So, you know, there'd be plenty of times when, um, you know, you've got three, four hour, flight before games um, and um, you know that takes some getting used to then obviously the the changes in, in climate the conditions you know it's incredible uh, one of my I, my mom got injured at DC I was out for a couple of months and um, my comeback game in the reserves was against Kansas at 12 o'clock in the afternoon the day oh, after the, the first team play yeah. and it was over 100 degrees and I'd never experienced heat like it um, and, it, and it's not just the fact that it's really hot, but it actually sucks the energy out of you. 
I mean, that, that game was incredible for two reasons. Firstly, um, we had a Ghanaian uh, lad who was playing in the middle of the park who, who didn't drink before the game, didn't prepare right. And um, he actually went delirious. I mean, it was actually almost comical, but it was actually dangerous. I mean, we were, we were defending a corner. When we started to realise he was in trouble, he was up the other end running around their goalkeeper. If you can imagine that, we're all supposed to be defending and he's up the other end running around because he's just, the heat had got to him. And then, so they realised, so they made a sub and took him off and he carried on running up and down the line calling for the ball and he'd been subbed. I mean, it was bizarre, but I mean, but then it got serious. He ended up having to get rushed off, but he was fine. But, um, you know, and the, and uh, that was, it was funny because um, after that game, I got released from DC because they said they thought my legs had gone. And, uh, and that was another funny thing because it was like 100 degrees heat and it was like, wow. But... Um, but there you go. But so that that that's you know, obviously a, a lot to take into consideration. But as a coach, there's loads of rules um, and regulations that that don't you know um, happen in any other league. Really, you have to you have to you know produce a team within a, a cap. You only got a certain amount of money. There's loads of rules. International players only a certain amount. So there's a lot of wheeling and dealing. That um, in fairness, you know the you know, other, other, other people do. We have a guy called Mike Jacobs, who's, um, who's, who's been fantastic in them. You know, he does a lot of that with, with obviously the head coach, Gary Smith. So, you know, there's, there's, there's lots of, lots of things. And, and as a coach as well, you, you know, you're working with players of maybe different, different areas, different countries that you wouldn't have come across so much in England. You know, we have a, you know, a lot, a lot of players from South America, who um, you know? Who have obviously got different, different cultures, different ways, different ways maybe that you uh, approach things that um, that you, you don't come across every day in England. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Steve, what's a, what's kind of a weekly routine for 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 you guys or yourself? Um, game, you know, a week of a match. What, what's type of a typical week for you? No, no different to most teams, I guess. I mean, like you know, I mentioned there, we do a lot of position-specific warm-ups. So you know, during the week, we we you know um, we ask the players to the, the number one thing. Number one thing we try and you know, as as a coach, we try and ask the players: Do they want to try and find out how good they can be? Um, and and then, and then with that in mind, they all got their own little programs, little ideas. Don't matter how old you are, you know, um, especially well, the young lads, especially. You know they they they're expected to get on with it. So you know we're all position specific training sessions after training or or in the warm up that's designed to try and ask the players to to try and find out how good they can be. And all we ask is they they, they meet us halfway. You know we set them the program. We're all in with with video and and all that individual as well as collective. And you'd be amazed the amount of players who 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 can't meet you halfway. But but the ones who do. Um, then you, you you hope that you know that that, that they get that little extra percent, and and that's what a lot of training or you know our week consists of. There's a lot of that, a lot of you know um, expectation on the players to to turn up and and practice correctly. You know, with, with, but then actual training methods, a lot of you know organisation preparation goes into it, and then obviously after training we we break into our groups for position specific work again and. One day off a week, maybe. So I think you know, you know, when players come, we got players from Germany and 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 Portugal. You know, you like to think when they come in here, it's it's not you know the experience is that that they may be hopefully professional, um, but actually buying into their 
their personal careers is something that maybe they've not experienced so much at other clubs. And, and, and we hope that, that by doing that, we get that extra percent out of them um, and um, hopefully get a bit of success through it. Yeah, no, Steve, hopefully uh, we have some Nashville fans listening in. Um, I, w- I watched your season. I remember watching your first game, um, pack stands. Everybody was there, and then obviously we hit COVID. But uh, I watched a video there the other day. Uh, the best milestone for 2020 um, for you guys was the two playoff wins you had. Um, what were those memories like as a coach? As it was a long season, tons of things to overcome. I know you had the MLS tournament down there. Um, as well, and you got back and you had some games, but to, to, to get to the playoffs, to win games um, in Nashville, great fans, how would you sum up your, your season there last year? It, it was an incredible roller coaster for everyone, but I do feel that we, we certainly went through the grinder. Um, you know, you mentioned the tournament in, down in Florida there. You know, we were in a, we'd worked hard, we did a good preseason. The, the lads had trained hard. We felt ready for that tournament. We were looking forward to it. Um, unfortunately, 10 of us went down with COVID. So we ended up actually not playing a single game. Um, and uh, we were stuck in a, in a hotel down in Florida there for weeks on end. As, um, as a test came through, another player, another player was, was, was going down with it. Um, so that was pretty depressing. So we missed that tournament, didn't play a game. Um, I think in our first six games, I'm right in saying we had one at home against Atlanta that you with 60,000 fans, which yeah. was incredible. Um, and then I think the rest were away from home. So not only did we miss the tournament, so we were behind games, we also had a large, large chunk of our early games away from home. So it was um, it was incredible, really, that we we managed to dig in, um, pick up wins on the road, um, which is not easy in this league. Um, and then ultimately to make the playoffs, you know, we we made it with a good few games to spare, and of course, written in the stars, I guess, that we play Miami in the playoffs first round, um, you know, with with all their you know star-studded um, you know team, and uh, you know to beat them three 0 at home was um, was was obviously great for us, fantastic. Then to go and play Toronto. Who I think they made the final three of the last four years. Very yeah. experienced team, very you know decently assembled, expensively assembled, but very good. Um, and to beat them in extra time, it just felt we were on a roll, you know, and and it was great. And then um, came unstuck in Columbus, who went on to actually win it in the end, but took them to extra time, um, just ran out of puff really in the end. Brilliant, uh, Steve. Question we always ask all our guests. Um, what advice would you give to a young Steve Guppy? Oh, um, <laughs> I mean, I, I think, I think when I look back, you know, I, I don't, I've, you know, it's, it's funny, you, you know, when you retire, you're in danger of, you know, I always laugh, I always joke that I've become borderline world class now. I've retired because you you forget you forget your bad games. You only remember the good ones. Um, but and I, I think now when I with the now how much of sort of studied the art of one v ones I wish I'd done that before when I was playing because there's loads of loads of little things that uh, I wish I'd thought about um, which would have helped the process and um, you know that would have that would have definitely uh, definitely helped me I think and, and made me better I mean you know little things at the minute we uh, 
we've got a player who's very good at running at players with the ball on the outside of his right foot, but, but the finish comes on the outside of his left foot or on his left foot. So he moves the defender by having the ball on one foot and moves it. And, and I remember watching per, Perizic, Perizic, I always get his name yeah. wrong, for Bayern Munich. If you ever watch him, he does it all the time. It's fantastic. So he moves the defender because he has the ball on his right foot, but he's actually, as he does a trick, he moves the ball across his body. And, and then I, I could look at them as more like killer tricks and killer moments. And I never really had that. And, I, and I'd love to have um, go back now and, and practice those sort of moments and the key moments, bring that killer trick out that these guys can do. Brilliant, Steve. Steve, last question. Um, what's the, what do you think the best moments from your career uh, as a player and uh, and obviously up to this date in coaching, if you've to pick, if you had to pick three things that you were saying, these things were oh. the three best things that I've I've uh, I've had. Obviously, you've you've had some amazing times. I mean, I'm putting you on the spot there. I mean, uh, but um, hopefully one of them, hopefully one of them's Ireland too, right? Uh, coaching oh, for Ireland. I doubt it. I, these 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 are the questions when I could see Roy shaking his head. <laughs> like, what highlights are you are you referring to? <laughs> but I, um, no, I, listen, I mean, okay, three quick quick highlights. I, I think, obviously, well, I'll, I'll blend them into one. Wickham Wanderers, to playing at Wembley for the first time was a, was a you know, was, was achieving a boyhood dream. But to throw into that as well was then to become a professional footballer um, at Wickham, you know, was, was, a, was obviously everyone's dream. Then, um, I guess... To um, you know, to, to play in the Premiership and um, was 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 on a par with playing for England. You know, getting a cap was um, was amazing. But as as Roy always points out, I had two caps that day, my first and my last. <laughs> uh, but, um, but I will, you know. And, oh, there's too many. Oh, there's not been that many. Don't, don't get me wrong. But to win an MLS Cup um, as a coach was absolutely fantastic but i have to i have to throw in you know that that um that night when we beat italy with 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 you know with ireland as a coach was was it was a was a something that i'll tell you this whenever i feel miserable i've had a bad day coaching or things haven't gone right i will uh, i'll openly admit I, I i regularly go back and i watch shane long's goal against germany i watch Bro robbie brady's goal or or or, or Hulahan's goal against Sweden, and it, and it always picks me up. It's funny, I never go back and look at a goal maybe I would have scored. I always look at the, the Irish goals to um, to pull me out of any any depression that I'm in. Tell you what, that Shane Long goal is is used in many a household during these days of lockdown, I'm sure, because uh, what a night that was for, for, for yourself and, and for Irish football. But... Steve, listen, absolutely brilliant, uh, a gentleman, and um, you know we wish you all the best in Nashville and uh, with the upcoming season, and 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 uh, stay safe, you and your family during these times as well, and and uh, appreciate you coming on as well. Absolutely brilliant. Thanks, Steve. Uh, not my my welcome, absolutely welcome. Get Seamus on. I tell you, yeah. Seamus McDonough, yeah, best yeah. goalkeeper coach I've ever seen. He's a genius. You'll love him. We've traded emails with Seamus. He's uh, he's on the list to get on. Um, but yeah, class, you were brilliant. Thanks very much for your time. Brilliant stories. Welcome. Cheers, Steve. Stay safe. Cheers, Bye -bye. Steve. Bye bye.